all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Joining me today, I have Dr. Elena Dent. She's an Assistant Professor of Preventive Medicine at UMMC and also a registered dietitian. And we're going to be talking about the pros and cons of kind of the most popular ways of eating out there. Um, You know, I don't like to use the word diet, uh, but in essence, the most popular diets that are out there, what are the pros and cons of each one of those? If you have a question or a comment about a way of eating, our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. You can email us fit at mpbonline.org, or you can go over to Facebook to Healthy Habits with Josie, and you can leave me a message there. Good morning, Dr. Dent. Good morning, Dr. Bidwell. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You know, I always enjoy having you on the show. You're a wealth of information about uh, about nutrition and physiology and how those two things uh, interact with each other. And I thought this would be an excellent topic as we are drawing toward the end of the year, because now is that time where people are starting to think about uh, making resolutions for the new year. And I'm not saying we should. Uh, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of making resolutions. I am a huge fan of setting goals any time of the year. But now is the time where people are curious and going, you know, i got to do something. What should I what should I do? And there are pros and cons to all of them out there, even dietary patterns that I wouldn't necessarily endorse or recommend. There are going to be pros to those, just like there are going to be cons to to some of the ones that I think are are great. So I think it's a good idea to kind of dig through those. What do you think? I totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah, and it's it's so confusing, and you know we we tend to look at there's a report that U.S. News and World Reports puts out every year that is their kind of list of of best diets, and when you go to that website, I mean it's a it's a great list, but to me it just kind of further confuses things because there's a list for best overall diet, there's a list right. for best best diabetes diet, best weight yep. loss diet, best heart health diet. And, I mean, I don't know about you, but most people that I work with, which you work with the same folks as I do because we're in clinic together, they don't have kind of just one thing, right, that they're wanting to work on. You know, they, they're wanting right. to improve their heart health and improve their blood sugar and maybe lose a little bit of weight. So it can be very, um, you know, just very confusing as to which, which one of these things am I supposed to pick to, to do the right I, thing or do I have to do them all? 
Absolutely. And I really wish, you know, they would change, instead of saying the best diet, we just change it to meal patterns, right? Because we typically associate diet with short term, right? Um, Which is really, you know, yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's just not setting anybody up for success because restriction works in the short term, but, you know, adults, don't really like to be told what they can and can't do. And after a while, they're like, yes, I can. I can eat whatever I want to. And, I mean, you can. You can eat whatever, you know, whatever you want to. Uh, it's just about yeah. how you, you know, build it in uh, to your, your daily pattern and kind of ditching the guilt and all those different kinds of things. So, Absolutely. you know, there are a plethora of, of diets out there. Some of the ones that I know we're going to talk about um, will be, like Mediterranean, because every year it kind of tops that uh, best overall diet category. And when we talk about best overall diet, like, what what does that mean? What is best overall? Yeah, so I think of that as, you know, overall, if you're not sure kind of what to follow, the best overall, and you mentioned Mediterranean, I look at it as it's, in theory, should have evidence behind it. So there's an evidence base to support why it is, quote-unquote, the best, right? Um, uh, so it's not just someone randomly decided, oh, I like this diet, we should tell everybody to follow it. It's right. It has that evidence and research to, to back it up. So in my mind, that's what, when I see best overall, to yeah. me, that's and, what you know, it stands for. Yeah, it's got to it's got to be scientifically having some data behind it, and yep. then you know how sustainable it is, right? Absolutely, and, and yes. how affordable it is, how yummy it is, all of those different kinds of things. But we do have a caller on the line already, so we will go talk all with right. Catherine this morning. Good morning, Catherine. How can we help you? Good morning. Uh, I once worked for a drug abuse research group, and they listed sugar as an addictive drug. I know that would shock a lot of people, but if you uh, cut out all the sugar out of your diet, I think you'd probably notice uh, a certain craving that you didn't realize you had for it. And even if you're trying to keep uh, the amount of sugar in your diet low, you really need to... uh, read the ingredients and everything you buy, any processed food you buy, is almost all of it is going to have sugar in it. I have, for example, a box of crispy hexagon uh, rice cereal, which is not supposed to be a sweetened one, but um, sugar is the third highest ingredient in it. And even a Gerber baby uh, tapioca, tapioca um, cheating wafer, uh Sugar is the third highest ingredient in that, and I'm wondering why on earth would a baby need sugar in a in a teething wafer? I mean, if you look at your uh, your uh, soups, your cereals, just about everything you you buy at the store, any processed food is going to have sugar in it, and I'm very concerned about that. Absolutely, that's a, an excellent comment, and you know, I think it's really important for us to kind of make the distinction between. Uh, added sugars and naturally occurring sugars, uh, especially with the way the food labels are now um, broken out. Well, actually, the way they were before. Before, they didn't really differentiate between added sugars and just naturally occurring sugars. And sometimes, I mean, if it if if it was grown with, and the sugar was placed in it by nature, 
then, you know, it's, it's going to have sugar in it. And that's completely different than if we're adding sugar to things like some of the products that you mentioned there that have those added sugars in there. Um, luckily, some of the newer uh, nutrition labels actually break it out uh, versus, you know, total sugars and then added sugars, um, which is just an effort to help increase, you know, the, the, um, the health literacy of what it is we're choosing and, and eating there. Would you agree with that, uh, Elena? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Um, and thank Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I absolutely agree. And one thing though that Catherine mentioned that I think it can be very helpful um, is she mentioned looking at the ingredients list mm-hmm. and kind of the order of, um, you know, the foods listed. So for others that are listening, if you are trying to cut back those added sugars, which is really what we're trying to get people to cut back on, you know, typically a general rule of thumb is that if it's listed within the first three ingredients, they're listed in the order of that, how much is in that product, right? So if a, a cereal has sugar in the first three ingredients, you know, it's, it's going to be considered a high sugar, added sugar um, cereal. Yeah, absolutely. And be on the lookout for things that may not say the actual word sugar, but are still a, an added sugar, you know, even adding honey or maple syrup or agave, um, brown, agave brown rice syrup, yeah. you know, all those kinds of things. And I'm not saying that those are necessarily bad, but, you know, if you are trying to cut back on added sugars, all of those things in your ingredient list are, are an added sugar. You know. Well, another thing that uh, I noticed is that one label on a product was bragging that it had no high fructose corn syrup in it, but it had sugar instead, as if the sugar refined white sugar was better. So yeah. I thought that was kind of a bait and switch tactic right there. Yeah, always got a you know front of the packaging is there to to grab your eye and make you pick it up. Uh, but the second step after you pick it up is to flip it over and look at the back, right? Because that's going to tell the story. So whenever I see things like that that say, you know, no fat or no added, you know, no high fructose corn syrup, I go, well, what the heck is in it then, right? Because fat makes yep. things taste good and sugar makes things taste good. Yep. So I got to got to see what it is that, that they're putting in there. Uh, yeah. So that was an excellent point um, that, that you mentioned there. And, and another tip about diet foods in general uh, you know, a lot of folks, by the time they get to me, they'll be like, well, I only eat, you know, reduced fat this or low sugar this. Be careful with those because in, in, at the end of the day, what sells is what tastes good. And so a lot of times when they pull out things, you know, they pull out fat and make something reduced fat, they're going to add something else to it uh, to make it palatable to make it taste good and sometimes that's sugar sometimes it's extra uh, sodium and salt and those kinds of things so we just have to be careful with those um, with those diet products and we can retrain our palate not to crave the sugar or the salts and oils in our diets we can uh, train our palate to appreciate the other natural flavors and and food so that's another thing to I'm just concerned that we're going to be a nation hooked on sugar and we won't even have realized it happened. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned kind of training your palate, and that is another excellent point because if you are used to eating things that are very, very sweet or very, very salty, uh, when you start to reduce that, you're going to notice. It is not going to taste the same. And I think that's one of the kind of biggest um, kind of, 
letdowns that people have or, or kind of unrealistic expectations is that it's going to taste the exact same and it's not going to taste the exact same. And, and you're going to go, well, this doesn't taste as good, but it will. You just have to give your taste buds a little bit of time to adjust to the fact that not everything is supposed to be super salty and super sweet. Uh, and, it, and it gets to that point where if you've ever given up soda, and you actually go back and drink a soda, you're like, oh, my goodness, that's so sweet. I don't know how I drank it before. Yeah. <laughs> and it just takes time to kind of kind of, kind of a washout period, so to speak, to, to get your taste buds reset there. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. I'm Coach Charlie Melton, and I want to help steer you in the right direction. If you need coaching on fixing up your automobile, listen to our podcast, AutoCorrect, found on all podcasting platforms. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell. Joining me today is Dr. Elena Dent, and we are talking about the pros and cons of various eating patterns. If you are looking for, to make a change in your nutrition in the coming uh, coming weeks, we are breaking down what's good, well, not even good, what is a benefit of and maybe not a benefit of some of the most common ways of eating out there. If you have a question or a comment for us, our number is one eight seven seven. MPB ring. We can go over to Facebook to Healthy Habits with Josie and drop us a message there. So, the standard American diet, right? Sad is kind of the abbreviation for that. But any way of eating has pros and cons to it. So, even the standard American diet has a pro to it, right? Like it's convenient. You know, I mean, the standard American diet is yeah. pretty con- convenient. So, you know, that that would be a pro to it. But the cons of it, you really kind of have to stack up against what you're wanting for for yourself, right? And if it is heart health, you know, improving heart health, maybe lowering blood pressure or improving blood sugar or losing weight, then we're simply not going to get there with the standard American diet, right? Absolutely. And you know, most of us are familiar with what we consider a standard American diet, but if you're if you're not, um, when we say the standard American diet, we refer to, you know, our typical diet that's high in processed foods, lots of refined carbohydrates, added sugars, lots of refined and added fats, and typically high um, high fat dairy and lots of red meat. Yeah. And if you look at there's kind of a breakdown of what Americans eat and the overwhelming majority of what it is is a processed food, right? And then you've got yeah. an animal product as the, as the next kind of chunk. And then you've got a very, very small amount, about 12% or so, that is uh, what we would consider a plant food. And what is even more shocking about that is that 12% can get broken down um, 
in half, and about half of, of what we consider our fruits and vegetables are still processed things. You're like the apples in an apple pie or the tomatoes and ketchup, uh, those kinds of things, right. which are just, I don't know, it's, they're just not fruits and vegetables. That's that's not mm-hmm. it. So, mm-hmm. you know, we've really got to to shift. And what what I find most helpful is not trying to be perfect. It's just trying to make make little changes um, along Absolutely. the way. All right, we've got a caller on the line, uh, Don from Jackson. Good morning. How can we help you? Hey, I was just wondering, in talking about eating habits, and I was thinking how much of a factor is environmental eating habits like that contribute to uh, diabetes? Tell me a little bit more about what you mean by environmental eating habits. Uh, just the eating habits of, of a person, uh, you know, how much sugar they eat, how much, uh, you know, just processed foods, those type things that are not good for them. Mm-hmm. Is, is that a factor or a contributing factor to uh, a diabetes? Excellent. I know part of it is genetics, but, I'm, uh, but I also had heard that, you know, environmental factor is, is you know, plays in that, in, you know, equation too. Absolutely. Dr. Dent, I know this is a topic you're pretty passionate about, so I'm going to let you tackle this one. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I love, I love talking about diabetes. Uh, so, Don, this is a great question um, because I hear this, and I think, you know, Dr. Bidwell hears this often, too, is basically, you know, does eating sugar cause diabetes for me? Um, and I would say the, the most straightforward answer is no. However, it is definitely a contributing factor when we eat in excess and don't utilize what we eat, whether that is in the form of lots of added sugars, um, lots of added fats, et cetera. You know, if we're just consuming a lot of, you know, what I consider just kind of trash, highly processed food, and we're likely getting a lot of excess calories um, from that, and then if we don't really utilize that, so if we're not active and, um, you know, we're not uh, burning those calories, also, in, you know, so a sedentary lifestyle, that definitely will contribute to the development of type 2 diabetes. Yeah. And, uh-huh. you know, Don, you mentioned kind of genetics. And a lot of times patients, when they get to me, they'll say, well, you know, my mama had diabetes, and my daddy had diabetes, and my grandparents had diabetes, and my brother has diabetes, so I'm going to have diabetes. And, you know, there's absolutely, you know, genetic risk and genetic um, predispositions to things. Uh, but I like to tell people, you know, just because we're on the road to diabetes, you know, we've got the directions to get there, it doesn't mean that that is necessarily the destination that we have to arrive at. Um, right. And, you know, Dr. Dent mentioned, um, you know, more than just the nutrition, right? It is multifactorial in what helps to um, increase that that risk from a from a combination of the genetics and then being helped out by the by the environmental things that we do and it is the nutrition but it is also the you know the physical activity and stress is another big yeah. one because it often oh, feeds huge. into the other two right you know if you're yeah. um you know stress or you know you have untreated anxiety or depression those types yeah. of things or- then that impacts yeah. the types of foods that you choose uh how much energy you have spend on meal time and, even, and how even at least, yeah. you know, we know yes. has that U-shaped relationship with diabetes, meaning you, you get too little or too much, right? That can 
play a role as well as all the hormonal, you know, regulations that go on during sleep. Right. Right. Absolutely. And so, you know, we're talking about nutrition today, but what I want people to, to realize is it's not just not just nutrition. And if you do not feel like you're able to make any changes in nutrition right now, but you're at increased risk for developing heart disease or diabetes, there are other things that we can work on. And that doesn't, you know, you'll hear people say, well, you can't out exercise a bad diet. Well, you know, <laughs> there's some truth to that. You know, I mean, you can't eat, you know, purely processed food and walk for for 30 minutes and those cancel each other out but any movement is a step in the right direction for health you know any improvement in, in stress management is a step in the right direction any improvement in sleep and so that's one of the things that makes at least us a little bit different in lifestyle medicine is everybody comes in expecting us to give them a diet plan um, and they may actually leave with, um, you know, a, a walking plan or, you know, a mindfulness and, and meditation and stress reduction plan or, you know, a plan around sleep hygiene to help with that because it's whatever people feel like they are most confident in being able to, to make a change in is where we want to focus first. Because once we, we have a success in that, then, you know, they come back and go, well, you know what, I feel like I can probably make some changes to what I'm eating now. You know, so it, it's not an all or a nothing kind of thing. It's not black and white. Yep. All right. Thank you well, so thank much. Thank you all so much. You're thank welcome, you. Don. Thank you for giving us a call today. All right. Um, Dr. Yeah. Is it time for our next break? Because while we're not. on the topic of, okay, well, while we're on the topic of diabetes, I thought it might be a good time to bring up another popular diet that I hear patients ask about often, which is a ketogenic diet. Yes, and that was next on my list because it is the one that I hear about the most as well. And there are pros and cons to it, right? Yeah. So, you know, first and foremost, I want everyone to be on the same page about what is a ketogenic diet because definitions vary. So when we are talking about a ketogenic diet, we're typically talking about a diet that ranges from 20 to about 50 grams of carbohydrate per day. And if you're not familiar with a ketogenic diet, it's typically a very low carbohydrate and high fat diet. It's kind of similar to the Atkins diet, except Atkins kind of with higher protein, but, you know, still lots of, lots of fat, very, very little carbohydrates. And the whole goal is to try to get you into this metabolic state of ketosis. And once you can get to that, the idea is that then you burn fat for energy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, and there's a lot of a lot of popularity around it. And just like you said earlier, uh, Dr. Bidwell, about, you know, we kind of, we may follow a diet for a little while, but they're very hard to sustain. Uh, that is one with ketogenic that it's, you know, very hard to sustain for a length of time for most people. Mm-hmm. So... Um, and, you know, research does support that. We typically go back to our habitual macronutrient distribution. So if you typically eat a higher carbohydrate diet and you do ketogenic for a while and then life happens, right, and you follow the right. quote-unquote diet again, you're probably going to go back to higher carbohydrate distribution. So, um, but, you know, I would say the pros to ketogenic diet are it can help you lose weight just by means of you have to cut out a lot of highly processed high added sugar carbohydrates, right? Um, mm-hmm. So that that is a pro, that it can help you lose weight. But to me, you know, from a con standpoint, it, it's very hard to sustain. And so I think you and I are definitely on the same page about trying to get out of that mindset of a diet and more of a 
just a, a eating pattern and kind of a way of, of life. Um, so trying to find the right balance of carbohydrates that works for you, I think is so important. And that really starts with kind of figuring out what's your baseline intake now, right? And making adjustments right. from there. But, right. you know, other, other potential cons or concerns is, you know, if you have, um, if you're pregnant, if you have um, type 1 diabetes, if you have renal disease, you know, don't jump on this bandwagon without talking to your healthcare provider um, because there are some, you know, risks. So the diet was originally developed for epilepsy. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, and, it, and while it has benefits in other areas, just make sure that you clear, clear that with your healthcare provider to make sure if you want to go down that road that it's appropriate for you and you do it in an appropriate manner because you're cutting out a lot of uh, large food groups when you follow this. Right. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you know, the pros of it is that it, it kind of seems to okay some of our favorite things, right? Like cheese and yep. butter and, and, and those kinds and, you know, lots of meats and, and those kinds of things. Um, where I can absolutely support uh, part of the ketogenic diet is the elimination of those packaged processed um, carbohydrates, right? Like we can both agree there. That is a good benefit of it is that we're getting rid of, of, you know, these these packaged products that are, you know, breads and, and bread is not bad, but you know, highly kind of processed grain based products is a good word for it. Um, Yeah. Where, you know, so you mentioned it was kind of originally developed for epilepsy, right? That is, that's correct. Um, and, and very stringent, about 90% of the calories are from fat when we're talking fat, about yeah. kind of the epilepsy ketogenic diet. Um, and then kind of when it was started to be adapted, it's down for a weight loss was actually, um, I think it was Italy was where that doctor was, but it was a liquid fat diet that was fed through, it was a tube feeding um, on that. And people lost weight with that, but that's also a very controlled environment, right? With getting a certain amount of things kind of brought to you. And and we don't live in a controlled environment. We live in a big old messy world, you know? Um, And so, you know, while I would, I do not really ever endorse putting anybody that is not under the care of a neurologist for a specific uh, neurological disorder on a ketogenic diet. Uh, I do have a couple of patients who are very adamant about doing yeah. a keto diet, right? And so right. if we want to do that, then, and, and if you're one of those folks, then find a dietitian to help you with that. Because unfortunately, what I see is just the elimination of um, uh, good for us things and the addition yep. of things like like I saw one the other day, fat bombs, <laughs> fat bombs and yeah. that's a thing. But, uh, you know, after um, it was a, a burger patty that was cooked in butter with cheese and bacon on the top of it. And, yeah, that that is not what keto has to be, right? Yeah. Um, you know, right. there are much more plant-focused ketogenic diets um, that yeah. – if that if you're truly interested in a in a keto diet, let a dietitian or a nutrition you know, somebody that that has got a good background in nutrition help you build that out um, and do it in a healthy way. Don't just add multiple animal products in on top of each other because you mentioned you know renal disease and uh, pregnancy and those kinds of things. 
Um, I work with a lot of individuals that have um, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, and some of the the newer research coming out with keto is showing that, that, you know, it's just not great for fatty liver disease, even when you have the weight loss that results from keto, that kind of extra saturated fat that's being added on um, is not good for that particular uh, condition. So I would much rather see people, if they're going to add, you know, fats into the diet and pull out grains, then let's make sure we're doing it with things like olives and, you know, nuts and um, avocado and things like that that are going to be less saturated fat, heavy, um, heavy fats there. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing the doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell. Joining me today is Dr. Elena Dent, and we're talking about the pros and cons of the most common nutrition patterns that are out on the market. And we've talked about kind of the standard American diet. We've talked about uh, ketogenic diet. And we had a question that came in on Facebook that asked about the gluten free diet. Now, before we dig into that, if you have a question or a comment for us, our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring or you can go over to Facebook to Healthy Habits with Josie and drop me a line there. All right, Elena, talk to gluten-free. Okay. So this is, uh, let's un- <laughs> I hate to use the word, but let's unpack this because gluten-free right now is very popular. Um, so if you are considering following a gluten-free diet, I would ask you first, do you truly need to follow one? Okay, so do you have celiac disease, which is an autoimmune disease, um, or do you have non-celiac gluten sensitivity? Okay, Um, because those are both very real things. Um, But gluten is a protein that we find um, in wheat. It's also in barley and rye. So it's in lots and lots of foods. And so, you know, right now it's very, very popular. but I, I want to make sure people understand, unless you need to really follow it because you have the um, intolerance, you have celiac or sensitivity, um, I encourage you not to simply because there's not research supporting at this point that it helps with weight loss um, or other reasons. And at the same time, you're cutting out a lot, uh, a, a big group of foods. So um, a lot of whole grains that we need for heart health, colon health, et cetera. Um, so, you know, Gluten-free, just before you jump on that train, make sure it really aligns with your goals and ask yourself, why are you wanting to follow this? Because now they can make pretty much any gluten-free product, and it's still very highly processed um, with lots of added sugars. Um, 
you know, like you mentioned earlier, when they take something out of the food, they've got to add something back to make up. And typically a lot of our grain products that are processed are fortified with um, vitamins and iron. And so when we get into the gluten-free products, those aren't, may not necessarily be fortified. So if you don't truly mm-hmm. need to do gluten-free, I encourage you not to. However, if you use it as a tool to cut out a lot of processed foods and don't replace those with, you know, just processed gluten-free products, then we, you know, that's something we're talking about. But, um, I'll, and I'll get off my soapbox <laughs> <laughs> um, about that. Well, it's an important distinction, right? Because, the, yes. uh, you know, a, a gluten elimination diet is medically necessary for a lot of people. Um, you know, yes. uh, celiac is a very real medical condition, and gluten is is detrimental for those folks. You know, when you have Absolutely. kind of re- repeated insults to the GI tract from from this inflammation, you know, it can lead to some pretty uh, gnarly uh, pathological changes in our in our gut tissue. And so, if you need to be off of gluten for that, then then you need to be off of gluten for that. Yes. You know, and then you you mentioned. Um, you know, kind of a non-celiac but gluten sensitivity. And, you know, sometimes I'll see people that have, uh, you know, uh, bloating or abdominal cramping um, after, you know, a high-gluten meal. Or um, some folks even report kind of some some skin irritation or joint pain and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when we are unsure of, of what is going on, you know, sometimes we'll do an elimination diet uh, with folks yeah. to kind of pull out some of the 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 big um, big players in terms of of inflammation, right? Um, dairy yeah. is often one. Um, gluten is one. Um, sometimes people think it is the gluten, and it's really the kind of processed other processed ingredients that are in the gluten based products that they're that they're consuming. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. so, you know, the kind of first step is, you know, if you don't have celiac, but you're wanting to cut back on, on gluten, is to cut back on those highly processed products, right? And Absolutely. see if, if that gets you to where, where you want to be, right? Because it may be all the added yeah. sugars and the sodium and all that kind of stuff in the packaged products that is kind of making right. you puffy or making you achy and those kinds of things. Um, yeah. And that doesn't relieve it. Then we can think about pulling out, you know, if you're having a high dairy diet or a high gluten diet, um, kind of pulling back on some of those. Uh, And and while it's not fun, the key to that is keeping a, what I call a journal and symptom diary, right? Where we, we, (laughs) we record what we're eating. And then we also record how we kind of feel that day, right? In terms of sluggishness or joint pain or, you know, belly pain or diarrhea or constipation, whatever it is. So that we can start to make some uh, some correlations, right? Not causations, but correlations that we can, sure. and then try try to pull back on. What I see people do um, initially is they just kind of stop all the things, and they feel better. Mm-hmm. But but now we don't know what it was that was cause, yeah. causing the issue, and from a sustainability standpoint, uh, that may be kind of harder harder to keep up with. So an elimination diet yeah. takes a little bit longer. Um, to kind of get the information you need on the front end, uh, make mm-hmm. a plan, and start walking through that. So, you know, we talk all the For time sure. about about talking with your healthcare provider. That's another one. You know, you need a really supportive healthcare provider who's going to kind of walk yes. through 
all that information with you uh, to get to, to where we need to be. Now, if somebody truly is uh, celiac or has this gluten sensitivity and needs to pull back on that, um, doesn't mean we can't have some grains, right? Like what, what is generally considered a, a safe grain for somebody that has uh, gluten intolerance? Yeah, like quinoa, that's a, mm-hmm. a great grain that is appropriate for gluten um, intolerance or gluten uh, celiac disease. And I did want to mention, too, if you're someone that is thinking about this or, you you know, you think you may need to try an elimination diet if you truly think you've got some issue, you know, the test, that, the serology test that they would do for um, determining if you have celiac disease or not, you're not, uh, you won't get most accurate results if you go ahead and eliminate all of it and then get tested. So right. Just make sure if you are going to the provide your provider to ask about, oh, I think I need to be tested, you know, for celiac or whatever, or try to gluten free. Just know that, you know, don't go after you've eliminated all of this for four to six Correct. weeks because you're not you're not <laughs> going to get that accurate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and um, a lot of oats are also okay. Um, it just depends yes. on whether they're certified gluten free or not. I mean, oats should yes. be gluten free because they're not wheat, but right. sometimes it's just that you know, process. Yeah. Contamination. Yeah. 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 And and that so, you know, uh, that can just depend on how sensitive you are to, to gluten. But you know, oat flour is often a good replacement for, you know, in baking and, and doing those kinds of things uh, for a gluten free um or a gluten restricted diet. Yeah. Um and like we you know, um corn, which is something that typically you know, uh, people may not think of it. I mean, corn is in so many things, and that's typically gl- that is gluten free as well. Mm-hmm, um, so mm-hmm. that would be appropriate. So you can, you know, you can have popcorn as a snack, um, right? Type thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of people are like, corn is a grain, and it it yeah, kind of is. You know, it's it's weird to think I'm about. Sure. We think of it as a vegetable, but it it's more right. in the grain uh, grain category there. Yeah. And uh, you know, so uh, again, working with um, a healthcare provider and a dietitian. Who can help you substitute in uh, healthy, fiber-rich items? Because that's really what we're not yeah. wanting you to miss out on is the right. fiber, um, and then those added vitamins and minerals. So again, if you're, you know, on a gluten-free diet, a lot of those products may not be fortified with vitamins and minerals. So you may need to be on, right. um, uh, you know, a supplement. And if you truly have celiac, you may have some, you know, absorption issues with some of the other vitamins as well. So it's a, a good idea yeah. to have those levels checked and, and supplement those things out, um, you know, out as needed there. So, you know, pros of it, if you've got celiac, there yeah. can't be a bigger pro out there than not eating. Right. Um, <laughs> but, you know, yeah. if you if you don't have celiac and you aren't experiencing any, you know, kind of this, uh, puffiness or joint aches or belly pains and those kinds of things, there's not really necessarily a benefit from, from cutting out all of your, um, all of your gluten. That's not to say you can't substitute in some gluten-free products every now and then. I mean, I use yeah. um, brown rice pasta sometimes, you know, just to, to mm-hmm. switch it up and do some different things there. Um, but not because I'm actively trying to, um, to, you know, cut back on gluten or eliminate gluten. I just like the way, like the way that yeah. tastes. All right. We will go take our last break of the show. When we come back, we're going to talk about Mediterranean and DASH because those are the two that win every year for best overall diet. So we'll talk about what the pros and cons of those are. When we come back from the break, our number is one eight seven seven 877 mtb Rings. 
Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for joining us today here on Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. We've been talking all about uh, nutrition patterns or ways of eating today and the pros and cons of all of those most popular plans that are out there. Joining me today is Dr. Elena Dent. She is a registered dietitian uh, and helping me kind of dig through some of these things. And we've talked about kind of the standard American diet, the ketogenic diet, the gluten-free diet. And now I want to talk about uh, kind of the buzzwords of Mediterranean diet and, and DASH diet and, and what the heck are those and are they different and what are the pros and cons of those? Yeah, great, great question. I love, I love both of these diets despite them having the word diet in their name. <laughs> Absolutely. So, right. So we'll just pretend it's, you know, the Mediterranean uh, eating plan and the DASH eating plan. So, um, the Mediterranean diet has been around for decades, as well as the DASH diet. Um, but Mediterranean diet has an emphasis um, on fruits, vegetables, whole grains, nuts, olive oil, and limited wine consumption typically with meals. And it is, you know, ha- there's evidence for its impact on cardiovascular disease, diabetes, um, and it's, you know, like I said, it's evidence-based, lowering saturated fat. So. Um, you know, lots to support there. So there's, to me, there's no shock that it, you know, has kind of one best overall diet. It's very easily applicable to really anyone's diet um, because it doesn't require any special foods. You don't have to, you know, go out and buy special things. Um, You know, it's just really putting the emphasis on what you should add to your diet instead of focusing on what you have to eliminate. And the same is true with the DASH diet. So the DASH diet is the dietary approaches to stop hypertension. Like I said, it's also been around for decades, has a lot of research evidence to support it. And it has really been the best diet to, to demonstrate evidence for um, effectively lowering blood pressure. And so um, it can, you know, has its place for cardiovascular disease management and heart health. And it as well also in, puts an emphasis on fruits and vegetables, whole grains, low-fat dairy, and it has kind of this, kind of that thing that sets it apart a little bit is that it, it enhances or is really promoting an increase in kind of the potassium that you're getting through fruits and vegetables, which can have an impact on your blood pressure and also lowering the, that added sodium. And so, again, it's also, it does not require any special foods, um, and it puts emphasis on what to add to your diet instead of focusing on what to cut out, which, you know, from my standpoint, 
I, you know, I'm someone that responds better if we focus on the positive things, like tell me what I can add, because if you tell me what I can't have, that's all I want to eat. Um, right. So, you know, so I think they're both, you know, great, like I said, evidence-based, and they're, you know, anybody I feel like can follow them. Um, and there are a lot of free resources for both of them. So, like, if you're interested in the Mediterranean diet, if you, you know, go to Google and Google the Mediterranean diet, you'll find lots of lots of, you know, good information. I really like the um, Harvard links that'll pop up. It's helped at Harvard because there's a lot of, um, mm-hmm. you know, great resources there. And then for DASH, you know, if you Google DASH, the NHLBI, the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute, they have amazing free resources that'll give you, like, you know, a meal plan for this for a day, a week, et cetera. Lots of great mm-hmm. recipes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some some things to remember is, both of those patterns, Mediterranean and DASH, are both considered plant-based diets because the emphasis is on the plant foods, the fruits, yep. the veggies, the grains, and the the animal product is much more of a, almost like a condiment or, you know, just a, an extra little flavoring. It is a much smaller portion of the plate. And when you actually look at, at kind of how you put that into action, a, a kind of true Mediterranean way of eating would be some of those meals have no animal products in them, right? That there's not, right. you know, there are, are vegetarian or, uh, you know, completely animal-free meals uh, in that way of eating, which is a different way uh, than we tend to approach meals uh, here in, in America. We tend to have a, a meat um, on the plate at, at every meal. And yeah, again, I mean, it's not saying you can't have meat, but it is a, a shift, you know. For sure. And I think that the reason the Mediterranean and Dash, um, you know, are easier for people to follow. And, to, and, and even though they are plant-focused, which you and I both love, the difference mm-hmm. is if we told, told someone, okay, I want you to eat a mostly plant-based diet versus, hey, I want you to follow Mediterranean or Dash. Right. You know, when you follow Mediterranean or Dash, you don't even really realize that you're cutting down a lot right. of those uh, animal products, right? So right. it right. feels more of like, you know, we're focusing on what you what you can add. So yeah, yeah. and yeah, the other caveat to Mediterranean is, you know, people often see that oh, olive oil and, and wine, and they're like, oh, I can just free reign mm-hmm. on those things, you know, and mm-hmm. you have to be very careful with that. Um, you know, you olive do. oil is still an added fat. And so yep. if you're trying to lose weight, you know, using a whole lot of olive oil in addition to other kind of very high calorie foods is not, is not getting you to Mediterranean, right? Just adding olive oil is not for sure. Cut it. Um, you know, and so just because be, be careful on that. Absolutely. And, you know, we have a tendency to hear, oh, well, if one thing's good, more is better. And just like you said, from, you know, um, olive oil, yes, it's healthy, but we still have to keep in mind the appropriate portion size, which oftentimes is going to be all, about one to two tablespoons. And same yeah. is true with the, with the wine, right? It doesn't mean that you just, let's have a bottle of red wine with every meal. It's, okay, well, let's get back to what is actual, you know, an appropriate amount, which, you know, is about the, for a serving of wine, it's one glass for women and up to two glasses for men. But that's about a that's a five ounce serving, which is not right. a lot, right? No, no. So it's 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 very little. And you know, I always encourage people to to get the nutrients that are so beneficial from the olive oil and from the wine from the actual foods that they came from, the olives, yeah, and the grapes. Yep. 
Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners, so if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. <laughs>